Dan Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. There's going to be a lot of startups who develop new AI products for users, whether those are users in the consumer market or business users, with AI baked in from the start. But there's also going to be a lot of software companies who have to level up their service offerings to be competitive. Folks that are working with marketing technology, folks that are working with CRM, are going to have to keep layering AI value on top of these solutions and even baking AI into the core of their product to keep them competitive, to deliver more value to their end user. And the process of overhauling a software product with AI capability to compete in the market is something that not a lot of folks have experience with. As it turns out, our guest this week, Dr. Pavel Dmitriev, uh, does have experience in that domain. He's the VP of Data Science at Outreach.io. Outreach is a unicorn company worth over a billion dollars. We've had their founder, Manny, on the show. I think it was three or four months ago. Excellent interview with Manny about his journey of layering AI into an existing business. We speak with Pavel at more of a business and conceptual level, not a technical level, about what does it look like to make those strategic decisions around where can we add AI value here? What are our users looking for? What's technically feasible? What's going to be interesting for the marketplace? And what's going to be able to drive actual value? And also, what's going to be viable? What is machine learning even a good fit for? We want to have the best product in the market, but we don't want to throw ML in there for ML's own sake. And Pavel has a lot of direct hands-on experience in this domain, and he really brings it to bear in this episode. I hope it's not the last interview we have with this guest. I certainly learned a lot, and I hope that you will too. And if you're interested in taking action on what you've learned here in these episodes or in our newsletters and from our articles, then consider checking out Emerge Plus. Emerge Plus is where we take the best of insights from our interviews and turn them into useful, fruitful, best practice infographics around measuring the ROI of AI, around AI adoption, around building your AI foundation, whether this is something you need to communicate to your own team or to your clients. These very distilled resources are really one of the major benefits of Emerge Plus. In addition to having access to our complete use case library and AI white paper library, which are a great value into themselves if you're looking for AI opportunities. If you want to find where to connect the dots and find opportunities, and then you want to be able to take action on them and be able to follow best practices as opposed to reinventing the wheel, Emerge Plus is a great and accessible resource. You can learn more at emerj.com slash p1. That's p as in plus and then the number one. emerj.com slash p1 and learn more about Emerge Plus. Without further ado, let's fly into this Thursday episode here with Pavel of Outreach.io here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Pavel, glad to be able to have you on the program. We had Manny, your CEO, on not that long ago, and you're the data science guy here. So I want to really open up with you first and say, you know, Outreach, billion-dollar company, growing very fast, SaaS platform. Now it's about taking it to the next level with AI. What are really those opportunities and upsides of taking a popular SaaS product and layering in AI? Why is it worth this additional effort of, of baking AI into the mix? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah. It's very interesting. I feel like uh, at Outreach, the moment when we started to build uh, in AI, and I think, as you mentioned, we did not start as an AI company. But that moment when we uh, started building in AI was actually a very good good moment to start when we already have had a, a pretty good user base. Yes, yes. And very active user base, which is uh, very important. I think this is one of the you know, uh, aspects of a, of, a, of a SaaS company is that we can collect a lot of raw data yep. uh, from those users and 
having a lot of or a good amount of data available is kind of a prerequisite really for being able to start building AI uh, into the product. And Outreach already had that. It, it already had a good number of customers, a large amount of data, and actually a lot of insights into what the problems of uh, those customers were. So at that point where the solutions kind of needed to be developed at scale, and not just for one customer, but, but for many customers, that's, that's a very good moment to start uh, bringing, uh, bringing AI in. And I think that the opportunity that AI brings is exactly that, the ability to solve some of, the, some of those problems that customers are having at scale. Yeah, and, and uh, so I, I think that's going to ring true for a lot of the audience. I think people will understand, like, okay, we're going to use AI to solve important problems or you know pursue important opportunities. Obviously, some of that you've been able to do just with the SaaS platform itself. You know, the company itself. Oh, well, you know, here we have a problem. Okay, build a feature. You know, you push this button and it's going to send an email. Okay, that's that's a feature. You know, we didn't need AI for that. But then there's other kinds of problems where maybe we do need AI, and maybe we 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 do need to leverage, like you said, the data of all these users we have. How do you think about that? There's some there's some problems where you know there's no reason to use AI. It would be overly complicated. And then there's others where we do need it. For you, you know, why is it important to to go after the AI opportunities there instead of just the additional SaaS features? You know, what what is the what's the big upside here? Yeah, the way we look at it at Outreach is that there are three phases to kind of to the evolution of Outreach product, and the first step there is a standardization step. Now, before Outreach, before sales engagement products appeared. Sales process was very disorganized. You know, it was kind of like what you see in the movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, the yeah. yeah. Contacts and then good luck, go and close it. And it's very hard to uh, plan and forecast that kind of process. It's very hard to understand what the practices are. It's very hard to propagate those practices in the organization. So that standardization step uh, is very important. It doesn't really need AI. And that's what Outreach originally did. It just standardized the sales process yep. through sequences through encoding it in the tool. But then the next step is optimization. The way I think about it is that you know if you take, say, a standard Outreach product, and then you take your sales process, you put it in Outreach, it's great. It's going to run a lot faster. However, if you had a bad sales process in the first place, now you have a bad sales process running really fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is, of course, uh, there is still value, but the value is very much reduced. So uh, helping our customers to optimize the sales process is, is the next step where we sort of look at what is happening in aggregate in, in the company, in the team, or even overall across all of our customers and try to use AI to uh, come up with kind of these broad types of recommendations and the types of features which uh, start improving the efficiency of the sales process. For example, if uh, companies, uh, especially those companies who did not have an automated kind of a sales, any kind of sales tool in the past, their sales process tends to be very shallow. They only try to approach a prospect a few times, a small number of times. But we know from best practice is that 
actually takes uh, between 7 to 15, or even in some areas, maybe up to 30 touches to actually reach out to a prospect. So those kind of best practices can be just baked into the product yep. and provided with recommendations. Exactly. So that's a optimization step, and AI can be used to discover those kinds of insights. So that's the second step. And then the third step, once we are able to optimize the process a little bit, then the third step is a personalization. Because even though we can have a sales process, which is on average sort of optimal, or on average it's good, in every specific situation for every sales team or even for every sales rep, they can actually do better than average if we can tailor what we suggest or recommend them to do to their unique skills and to their unique situation. So that personalization aspect is where AI is really kind of front and center. You cannot even do it without, without AI because uh, the volume of, uh, of people, of teams, and of data is too high to be able to manually analyze it. And when does it make sense to start to explore that third phase? You know, because it seems like sometimes there'd be maybe more accessible, because that third phase involves iteration, it involves guessing about what kind of features you're going to use, it involves maybe starting to collect new kinds of data. These things become balloonlingly expensive, right? And, and, and inordinately complicated sometimes. While, you know, a new email feature or a new notification feature is, you know, maybe a weekend, you know, it's not necessarily the same level of, of depth. When does it make sense to start to explore that third phase? At what point in, in the company's maturity did it really make sense to allocate a certain amount of budget to do that? Like, why, 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 was, that, um, why was that threshold crossed? Yeah, I really think there is a logical progression between these three steps, standardization, optimization, and personalization. Because if you do not standardize this, everyone is doing whatever they want. There is no process if there is no standard process, there is nothing to optimize. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so you have to have that in order to optimize. And similarly, before we start personalization, that optimization step needs to happen. And optimization has multiple, multiple ways uh, and multiple aspects to it. Uh, one aspect is really just figuring out and be able to compute the right metrics to understand what is really what is really happening, metrics based on the activities, which otherwise kind of not, not, normally, not normally available. Um, like a, good, a good example there of a metric that we came up with at Outreach is um, metrics based on the intent of responses to sales emails. Okay. You know, we all send emails. Yes. Uh, and, uh, but, but it's actually you know, very interesting that there is, if you think about it, there is no really good natural metric which would tell you, is my email good or not? Did it really work or not? Because what normally people look at is things like open rates and click rates and reply rates, but those are actually not very good. In fact, we know if you send a very aggressive email, you'll get a lot of replies. Yep, but angry, angry, angry replies. replies. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right, and uh, so for such a core piece of sales communication as emails, there is actually no good metric. So what, what we did is we used AI and natural language understanding algorithms to train a model which would parse the email replies and would categorize them into whether they're positive or negative, 
whether there is an objection, what kind of objection it is. And then based on that, we can define very precise metrics. Like this is uh, the number of positive replies you're getting or the number of objections of different types. And those metrics are very insightful. They can help the process optimization, but also they start providing that view uh, into uh, how different uh, sales reps are, are performing. Uh, because we could look at those metrics, different types of uh, intent that different sales reps are getting, and we can notice there is actually a big difference between different reps. And that then creates an opportunity for personalization that we can use some of those insights to start making personalized recommendations to the reps so that if some rep, for example, is really not very good at handling, say, budget-related objection, whenever they start talking about money, they, yeah, sort of, yeah. they, 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 they start losing deals. So we know that we need help. We can notify the manager, like, here is the area of improvement. Or we can, for the reps themselves, when they're facing that kind of objection, can provide certain templates or examples of how they could they could respond to it. So that sort of once you start get into optimization, then and, and go a little bit deeper into it, that opens an opportunity for personalization in a very natural way. So there is that sort of natural flow there. I got it. So I, I think this this lens of thinking is really useful. Maybe the audience can drink this in where we have standardization, optimization, personalization as as almost like phases. And I think you brought up a really interesting point that without AI, it might be very hard for us to even know what success is. So we, we can't even succeed unless we have an intelligent system kind of coax out and conjure out what a proper sort of good response is versus a bad response. These are unique problems that I guess it falls in the category of couldn't solve it without AI, right? So there's yeah. some of those things where it makes sense. It seems to me in the case that you just brought up about budget, for example, that that's a really that's a really challenging uh, problem because the first phase seems more reasonable where you would send something to the manager. Hello, Mr. Manager. Here are your 15 sales reps that you're managing. Generally speaking, in terms of understanding of the syntax, uh, here's how well they happen to be dealing with conversation threads that fall into these four major buckets, you know, budget related. Mm -hmm schedule, you know, whatever the buckets are, right? But determining those buckets feels really hard because I imagine every business is different. Um, and, and so you would either need massive amounts of data and training and feature engineering for one specific company, or you'd need to find the common sales elements that are sort of common across anybody selling SaaS, selling you know, cars, whatever they're selling with, with outreach. What have you had to do to figure that out? Because those buckets are not self-evident. Yeah, you really, I think, hit the nail on the head there on some of the problems of, of building <laughs> the kind of, uh, AI features. Yeah. I, I would say to kind of uh, maybe summarize, there is maybe two main big classes of, of, of problems that I see. Uh, one problem is the diversity of customers. Because we have, for example, at Outreach, so many uh, different customers from different industries, yes. of very yes. different sizes, international from international companies to just small startups still maybe in a basement somewhere. And even 
for customers of a similar size and from the same industry, their sales process may be very different. Yep, you're right, you're right. Some of them may have free products, for example, that they give for free and then they try to convert and some of them are selling right away. Yeah, yeah. Of course, their target customer base are very different. So there is a great diversity in uh, in uh, different customers. So that's one problem. And then the second problem is availability of the training data. Hmm. You know, in the supervised uh, machine learning setting, where a lot of the problems fall, for example, the intent problem is a classical uh, supervised problem. We have four buckets, we need to have a set of emails. Every email labeled with what bucket yeah. uh, they fall into. But the problem there is, uh, this data is very sensitive. Oh yeah. So we can't really just take our customers' email, put it some, somewhere on Amazon Mechanical Turk. <laughs> yeah. Like low cost workers, uh, you know, label them. It, it, it's a very sensitive, uh, sensitive data, and it's also very unique to the problem. There is really no good, you no know, publicly available data set which yep. we could use uh, as, as a substitute. So obtaining the training data is very expensive. I think this is true as a two challenges. Now, what to uh, do about it? Uh, there are two things again that we are trying to we are trying to do. One uh, is we are trying to use, and this is possible due to you know uh, recent development in NLP, to use more of a pre-trained language models and huh. then use transfer learning to be able uh, to be able to alleviate that need for. For the training data, and also to be able to uh, adapt the models to different domains and to different customers with very little training data. So the way the way it works at a high level is that you may have a model produced by, say, Google or Facebook or Microsoft. They all released these different models. It's trained on just billions uh, of uh, documents, Wikipedia, books, essentially all kind of texts they could <laughs> uh, get hold of. Uh, and it really understands language very well, but it doesn't understand the sales domain. Yeah. You know, if, for example, you know, a common, in, in, in sales, there is a common uh, term, AE, which is an account executive. Now, if you say AE, Many models would think it's a typo, or in speech, you know, in our uh, speech product, Kaya, you say AE is going to translate it as AI. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Default. If you don't adapt it to the sales domain, but the way uh, transfer learning, what transfer learning allows uh, you to do is to adapt it with a very small amount of, of data. So taking that understanding of language, adding a little bit of domain adaptation, and that allows building the models with a small amount of training data. So that's so that that's one technology that we are really trying to make use, and we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of success with. Then another approach uh, there is to set up feedback loops. Okay. And what I mean by a feedback loop is that when we deploy AI model into a product, for example, uh, in our Example that we are using intent, but, uh, suppose we, we have a certain dialogue which pops up for the sales rep. When they face that budget objection, it will tell them what to do. And the rep can either accept or reject it. Now, that action of accepting or rejecting it is actually giving us some feedback on whether our recommendation 
was correct or not. Actually, mm. it would be even better if they don't just accept or reject, but we actually ask them to tell us, was it right recommendation or not? Maybe it was correct recommendation, they don't want to use it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, uh, designing those feedback loops is actually not so easy. It's not it's self-evident, quite, yeah. Quite a bit of an expertise in between sort of UX design and machine learning, but carefully designed feedback loops would give us the training data for free so that we can bootstrap the model with a little amount of kind of manually in-house created training data. But once it's good uh, enough quality to release to customers, we can actually improve it really, really fast based on that feedback data. Yeah, but like you said, designing those feedback loops is very hard because some people Uh might just say, I don't use prompts. Like I'm just not into prompts. So they might say no to everything because they just want to get back to the normal workflow. But if you take that feedback as this was the wrong prompt, then you're training your algorithm to think that was actually the wrong prompt. So like you had said, you might have to not just say, use the prompt, don't use the prompt. But if they don't use it, I, you know, you might, you might need some setting where it says, well, it was right. I just didn't feel like it. Or you might need the ability to just turn that feature off, like have users be able to turn off those recommendations so that the people who it's annoying to, they don't just screw up your data. Only the people that that give it feedback are the people that are actively going to use it. And then you could ask them multiple questions. If it's right, like you might ask, you know, for what reason was it right? If it's wrong, you might say what reason for it was wrong. And to think about all those trees and options is just infinitely complicated. To, for it to be to for it to be actually useful for you because a yes and a no may just not be good enough so it's it sounds like it's there's so much ux thinking into making that feedback loop actually become productive right yeah it is actually kind of a fascinating area which is not very well explored in ai and machine learning research of how what are the principles for designing yeah. uh, designing feedback loops and there are some technical aspects to it. There are also some business aspects to it. For example, if we make the data, that intent data really, in our example, that intent data very critical to the business process, for example, it's not only reps are taking action on it, it's also managers actually going to look at the data and judge how their reps performing based on what kind of uh, responses they're getting and what kind of objections are there, then the reps are actually going to really care that the classifications that the manager is going to look at are correct. And they would uh, change it if it's wrong because they want them, they want to look good on their manager's dashboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and managers could also, when they inspect, when they inspect, you know, have one-on-ones with reps, they look at examples, they want their dashboards to be correct, so they may go and change change those classifications. So when this data becomes very critical to their business, then they really care about getting it right. And then these feedback loops really, really work very well. It's really interesting because just like every other aspect of AI, and maybe some of this transfers to other kinds of IT and technical projects as well, I'm sure it does, the feedback loops themselves have to be an iterative process. You have to have subject matter experts and data scientists in the room to come up with the feedback loops and probably a UX person about how they're prompted. And then you have to see how those go. You have to see when are people gaming the system and retroactively changing things so that their boss doesn't get mad at them. When do they, you know what I mean? You have have to, you have to diagnose and extract all those things. So these aren't like 
little projects. This is, you're going to have to buckle down and commit to molding this and crafting it over six months, 12 months to be able to have a feedback loop that actually drives business value. So it seems like you have to be really selective around where to apply AI because the work is just going to expand, right? Yeah, yes, certainly. It is both being selective about VR Applied and also having the expertise. That's why on our data science team, we actually have UX designers and front-end engineers. Not every data science team will have front-end engineers, yeah, but yeah. we do because even on the engineering side, with creating those the telemetry the right way to facilitate these feedback loops, it's some expertise that needs to be uh, acquired over time. But in terms of, you know, to your point of selecting the right, the right problems, it's uh, certainly very important. And focusing first on the problems which are really critical to the business. So it's not just kind of a side. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very critical to multiple personas. Again, this example with intent is, is, is a very good one because it's important both for the sales reps, but also for their managers. And perhaps if you aggregate all of the data across all of the different teams and come up with actionable report, it may also be very important for the for the leadership. So problems which affect multiple personas and affect a really important core piece of the process. Again, email is still the most common way how sales uh, reps reach out to prospects. So this kind of problem, uh, there, is, there is a very good chance for success. But with a kind of, yeah, if, if it's only a side value add, it, it can be a struggle to actually figure out how do we get people to engage and contribute. We're getting a lot of great insights here, uh, Pavel. I, I really like where we're going. I'm, I'm going to nutshell a couple of them, make sure I'm on the right page with you, because obviously you live in this space. So we have the standardized, optimized, personalized, phasic understanding. We also have the understanding that we need to pick business critical and AI accessible problems and understand it's going to be quite complicated to do this well. We also need to really think through if we're going to do feedback loops based on what you would call telemetry data, which normally we hear that term in the manufacturing heavy industry space. Telemetry is the use of, for those of you listening in, it's the use of various sensor data or kind of what we could call sort of the digital exhaust of the system, sort of what, what data is pumping out of what little dark corners. Apparently, you're using telemetry also in a SaaS context, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I It may, makes sense. So we have to really think about consciously structuring feedback loops if they're going to exist to make sure they're actually going to deliver business value and that that's a very pointed multidisciplinary problem. That's another really important thing that you're bringing up. Let me ask you this, Pavel. When you think about the other things that people really need to know, if they have a SaaS product, it's got users, you know, you guys are growing really quickly, very exciting company to be working for. You've got users, you've got data, you've got, you know, talented people, but now we're going to, we want to use that telemetry data to unlock bigger business critical problems. What are the other unforeseen issues, hurdles, challenges with doing that successfully? You know, what, what else have you learned there? Yeah, I think a very common problem, which I'm sure a lot of listeners will, will relate to, is uh, having a very good data infrastructure. And that's something that when we started you know, building AI at Outreach, we did not actually have a very good data mm. platform. I believe even though in theory, we had all of this data, in practice, actually, it was very difficult to, to analyze. 
And it's really only recently that we've sort of solved it to an adequate degree and, and, and trying to solve it better. Uh, so if I were to look at what we've done at Outreach, kind of looking back at uh, what we could have done to, to make it easier, then I think investing in data platform and data infrastructure more, ideally even a little bit before you start building AI, or at least together at the same at the same sort of level at the same at the same rate. Yeah, um, that would be a, that would be a one uh, one aspect. It's very easy to get excited about availability of a lot of data in theory and some good problems, but if that data is hard to use then uh, it will really hurt the speed of the, of the development. Yeah. Okay. This is really important, Pavel. And I can tell you the listeners that are tuned in, you know, I know we have listeners from, you know, Wells Fargo, from General Electric, from some of the, the biggest companies in the world, right? And, and their data infrastructure is crazy old, right? I mean, you know, at Outreach, you're a pretty new company, you know, based in Seattle, pretty tech city, you know, uh, and, and even for you guys, infrastructure to match your actual aspirations is really hard. Imagine how hard it is inside of Merck or inside of some big old logistics company. I mean, it's got to be crazy. So let me ask you this question is maybe our, our kind of last note here. I know we're coming up on time. Do you think that it makes the most sense to like, what, what's the best way? You had said we need to keep our data infrastructure up to speed with our AI ambitions and ideas. One mm -hmm. of the ways I could imagine that working is we would think through the range of AI possibilities and options, the things that could add value and be part of our digital transformation journey and really come up with a nice cloud of that reasonable value we could layer on, capabilities we could layer on, and then ask the question, what facets of data infra need to be leveled up to unlock the most of that cloud? And then sort of work on that maybe as we work on our initial projects. Is that the right way to think about it? Or would you recommend thinking about it in another way? Yeah, I really personally like the approach of doing it together because there is a little bit of a chicken and egg problem. Yes, there yes. It's difficult to justify investing yes. a lot yes, into yes, building yes, a yes. infrastructure if you don't actually have like right there an application which <laughs> yeah. is going to deliver an immediate yeah. value. And similarly, it's very hard to deliver a value from AI when there is no data infrastructure. So it's a chicken and egg problem. <laughs> and doing yeah. one person the other later doesn't really work very well. It really has to be together and it needs to be built in sort of an iterative manner. Yep. You can pick, for example, one business problem and perhaps that adds another facet to what kind of problem to pick. Ideally, you would pick a problem which does not need a lot of different types of data. Uh, for example, maybe it only needs one type of data, say for email classification, you say I only need email text. I don't yep. need all the other sales activity and need to know what they yeah. are doing, even though that may be helpful to actually solve email problem, but we can we can you know, solve it just based on, on text. And we build that piece of data infrastructure first, which uh, manages and processes email text. And then as we pick the next problem, we are going to add to that uh, infrastructure. And in this way, build it out iteratively. Yeah, I think, well, this is a closing note for the audience, but you know, we, we've seen this time and time again that we need the tip of the spear to catalyze change. You know, the executive wants to sign off on results. The executive wants to sign off on something we can do. The executive wants to sign off on 
on a, an advantage we're going to gain. But they also, if, if we educate them well, if we don't leave them in the dark and make them ignorant, they also need to understand we need to build capabilities here. But the only way to unlock the funds to just spend on capabilities, to spend on maturity, is to get the result. So we need to sort of like build the foundation as we drive forward and then build it more of the foundation as we drive forward. It sounds like you see this as even for you in a fast moving kind of modern tech company, it's the same kind of balance of between the two. Yeah. Yeah, wow. exactly. That's cool. All right. Hey, you got more in common with the enterprises than I thought, Pavel. Maybe you guys are starting to get bigger than I thought. Who knows? Anyway, this has been mm -hmm. a lot of fun. I really appreciate the insights. I think this is a very unique perspective. And for those of you who are listening in that are building AI products, um, I hope that you'll find this as invaluable as I have. Pavel, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Big thanks for Pavel for being here with us, and thank you for listening all the way through on this episode. If you want to make sure you never miss a future episode, you can sign up for our newsletter and receive an email twice a week with all of our latest interviews and articles. That's just emerj.com. Up at the top right, there's a little button for subscribe. You can unsubscribe anytime, but if you want to stay on top of what we're creating here, again, interviews, articles, infographics, and otherwise, emerj.com. Sign up for the newsletter and make sure to stay in touch. I appreciate you listening in and I really look forward to bringing some excellent episodes for you next week. We're going to be getting into AI and natural language processing use cases coming up on Tuesday, so you won't want to miss it. I look forward to catching you here again on the AI and Business Podcast.